Connecting life and faith. This is Connections. Welcome to Connections. I'm Colleen Head with Mike Tom. Today's guest is a kindergarten teacher by day and an author in her spare time. Her most recent piece of work is a book that she co-authored with her father called A Church Called Toe, Forming a Goodness Culture That Resists Abuses of Power and Promotes Healing. We're joined today by Laura Berenger, and she's going to chat with us today about her thoughts on church leadership ways of moving forward in a good way. And we'll also chat about the book and what it was like to write with her father. We're going to hear that and so much more today on Connections. We're joined today by Laura Berenger. She is a kindergarten teacher, but she's also an author in her spare time. Her most recent project is a book that she wrote together with her father. It's called The Church Called Tove, Forming a Goodness Culture That Resists Abuses of Power and Promotes Healing. So, uh, Laura, yeah, we talked to your dad a while ago, Scott McKnight, about your new book that you wrote together, A Church Called Tove, uh, looking at church leadership and, and a way to go forward uh, to get out of the, I don't know, let's say trouble <laughs> that a lot of churches have found themselves in because of leadership styles. I'm wondering, first of all, though, what was it like to do this project with your dad? Like, theologian so did you grow up having like theological discussions with him and stuff like that yes and that just has always been normal to me is um anytime I have a question example I remember being in college and thinking hmm I wonder when the dinosaurs were so I would just call my dad and ask for explanations about the old testament and that's been my life as long as I can remember we've always had theological conversations um he's always been very patient with me our families with all the questions that we have the writing the book together was really a funny and fun experience. I'm not a theologian. I'm not an author by day. Um, I became an author through this, but he, we joked, my dad didn't want to use Google Docs. And so that be, has become a longstanding joke between the two of us that he would rather have this huge manuscript and email it back and forth. I was trying to explain to him, we can't both <laughs> work on it if we're emailing it back and forth. <laughs> so <laughs> lots of fun. Bring the, bring the, bring the theologian into present times. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Now, now the book, so a church called Tove, um, like I mentioned, it takes a look at some of the things that have gone wrong in a lot of churches and it's all about moving forward. Uh, I like the subtitle forming a goodness culture that resists abuses of power and promotes healing. I'm wondering why this interested you so much personally. Yeah, that's a good question. So when the story down here in Chicago broke about Willow Creek and Bill Hybels, it immediately became personal for me because I attended Willow Creek for over 20 years. I had long best friends are there. So the headline itself about allegations against Bill Hybels, Willow Creek grabbed my attention. But what really launched this journey for me is when I started reading the article and I knew the names of the accusers. They were all familiar names. They were family friends. They were, some of them had been friends of our family with me because I knew there was no way, there was just no way that collectively all of these women would be making up a story and lying about it. What were those moments first like as you read those names? only way I feel I can describe it, it was disorienting because it was a church. For me, it was the first time that I had experienced a church using narratives to cover up the truth. And 
it was like a pain and want to believe and trust them, but then look at the women and know they're, they're telling the truth. And it was a, it was a very uncomfortable, disorienting moment when I realized only one side here and either way, it's very disturbing. For someone, you obviously grew up in a strong Christian home. You have that faith, that faith is there, but for someone who may have been in the church and experiencing this um, for the first time, how can one look past that? You know, I, for me, it did not shake my faith because I always, from the beginning, I felt like this is not how, this is not how a church should operate. This just isn't right. This is not what, but I walked through this with several friends who it really did shake their faith. They, um, believed in Bill Hybels, believed in that he was telling the truth. And it led to months of therapy and questioning and just being rocked by what he, the depths of evil that human beings can, I don't know the word for it, just it rocked them. And it was really, really difficult for a lot of people. How do we move forward past that? You know, I, like you said, you had your faith. How do we keep those people in the church and keep them believing when they've experienced something like that? Yeah. Well, like I said, what what I have always felt and what led me to want to write this book is that what we see in these churches when they are resisting telling the truth in their um they're defending themselves and creating a different narrative is that is not God. That is not what Jesus envisioned for his church. So these are people that have wounded us. These are people that we trusted in and we believed, but they were, they were living I don't believe that every person is a hundred percent evil, but there was some evil operating within this person, but that is not God's vision. And that is not what he wants for the church. So I took a lot of comfort. And what I would try to tell my friends who are struggling is what you're seeing here is not Jesus. It's not God. It's not what his vision is for the church. Uh, what do you see as a more a pure vision of what Jesus had laid out for his church then going forward. What were some of the things maybe that the way we do church that set us up for this type of failure and abuse? Yeah. Well, I, my dad and I developed in our book, what we called the circle of Tove and we developed it so that we could help churches nurture these habits of goodness So those things would be nurturing empathy, nurturing grace, resisting a culture of fear. Um, We believe churches should put people first, not the institution and not their reputation, but people always. Churches should tell the truth. They should nurture justice and service. And above all, we should be helping each other grow in Christ likeness in resisting a culture of leadership. So we believe that if churches nurture these habits, that these habits also resist toxicity that we've been seeing in so many institutions. I love all those points. I want to start with each of them first. (laughs) (laughs) I can't choose one. But one thing that stuck out to me, there were two things, actually. 
people first and then the culture resisting cultures of leadership. And yeah. I, when I was in seminary, I'm a former pastor. When I was in seminary, I had a professor that just tried to drive home to us, resist letting your people put you up on a pedestal because the bigger the pedestal they put you on, the bigger you're going to fall off of it. And it's true. And, and in the church, like we should be putting Jesus up there and worshiping him, but we love to put our pastors up there. Don't we? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what we found, and I have to repent of my own participation in this, but it's not just the pastor that's up on the pedestal. It's all of the people in the congregation that feed into it. So the people feed it, the pastor feeds it, and it's a cycle of celebrity. And um, yeah, what we found is we've become obsessed with leadership and wanting our pastors to be celebrities. And I believe that that's contributed to some of the problems that we're seeing today. Basically, we need to be treating it more like a community. Right. And I, truthfully, I did not see the problem clearly until I left Willow Creek and began attending a little Anglican church. And my friends would say, well, what is it like? And I said, it is, and I'm not trying to judge Willow Creek, but I will say that it is the opposite of everything you can think of Willow Creek being. (laughs) There's no production. The pastor knows my name. He sends me an email to see how I'm doing. I'm known, I'm seen. And and it really, I feel, helped me experience and see the toxicity of some of this leadership celebrity culture that I had been in the midst of. I wasn't able to see it until I left it and saw a more pure purpose for church. That may be one of the problems is this belief that our the the church growth movement, I guess, right? And, you know, yeah. my church was 80 people when I became lead pastor there. A good Sunday was 100 people. And I would try not to, but every Sunday after the service was over, I'd go to the back and look at the usher sheet where they had counted attendance, right? And mm-hmm. did we crack 100 this week or not? But yeah, the most beautiful thing about it, I knew every single person, I knew their families, I knew what was going on, and they knew me and my wife and the struggles and and good things in our lives too, right? Right. And that's such a beautiful vision, I think, of knowing your people and putting them first, and it allows you to nurture goodness in yourself and in the congregation. That's beautiful. I was also uh, struck by that word empathy at the start there in that circle of Tove. Oh, and we should mention too, Tove, the Hebrew word for good, uh, basically. And this like kind of all-encompassing good. It's not just good, it's good. I always say <laughs> that. So, uh, and then, so yeah, having a culture of empathy. What does that look like in a church? What does that mean uh, in a church called Tove? Well, what we found is empathy is the opposite of narcissism, that what we want to resist in our churches is a narcissistic culture, because we've seen too many examples of pastors and leaders who don't have empathy for other people. And we believe when you look at Jesus, when you look at the stories in the Bible, 
he is always going to the people that are wounded. He sees the lost. He sees the hungry. He sees the people that need healing and he goes to them. He doesn't just say, oh, look at that person in pain, but he goes and does something about it. And I think for for me that that's such a beautiful vision of what the church should be, that it's not about a narcissist on stage getting all the glory but it's about brothers and sisters in Christ meeting each other, seeing each other's pain, and then doing something about it, being with them in the pain. Yeah, that culture of leadership seems so opposite of everything that Jesus said and even the way he conducted uh, his ministry. I mean, empathy was his first and foremost character outside of, well, being God, I guess, in the flesh, right? But everything he did was out of empathy. If we think of every story and every person he came across. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, um, I was just talking the other day to my dad about the Willow Creek has a big um, conference every year called the leadership summit. So again, I want to say I'm guilty of participating in it. I attended it. I talked about it. I gathered people to go with me, but I definitely, when I left the church, I felt like, oh, not every church talks about leadership all the time. It was as if leadership was the most important gift. And I remember thinking at one point, like, you don't all have it. You don't all have the gift of leadership. Why are we, why are we elevating it above all, all else? Why? Mm, and a great point. Yeah. Yeah. Is there an opportunity for these? I don't want to include all mega churches because it's not all mega churches, right? There are some that are doing good things. Um, but how is there an opportunity for things to be changed even when they're in the middle of this um toxicity and whatnot? Yeah, you know, we had a good friend, a good pastor friend read our manuscript before it went to print. And he told us that he felt that we were a bit too hard on megachurches. <laughs> so we actually softened it quite a bit. And it's not that we have anything against megachurches. I, I truly don't. I, I don't. Um, but what I have found it through research and reading and through a lot of conversations is that it really takes a pastor and a leadership team of extraordinary character to be able to lead a mega church and not fall temptation to, to the celebrity. You have to be a really strong character not to, because that's how we are as humans. It feels good to be praised and get the glory, right? Um mm-hmm. So it's not that I think nothing can be done. I I think maybe it would be harder in a mega church, but we always have hope in God and God can change. God can change people. And if we take a deep dive and look at the culture and what's contributing to it, I do think changes can be made, especially if we're trying really hard to resist toxic elements and nurture goodness instead. What's the biggest thing you've taken away from writing this book together with your father? You know, it's, it's been kind of a whirlwind for me because this is so different than my regular job. Um, But I would say, you know, at the beginning, I thought, dad, you talk, you talk here, here's something I want you to write about. And I, and finally, I thought, you know what, like, I think God is 
asking me to talk. And it's not about a topic that I ever thought that I, as a primary grades teacher, would be involved in or people asking me to give interviews about. But I mean, really what I've taken away from it is when God puts something on your heart, just do it. Yeah, I love that. Uh, what do you teach normally? What, what's your day job? Tell us. My day job is, <laughs> yeah, so I have taught first and second graders, but for last year, for the first time, I taught kindergarten. <laughs> so I was literally living in this world of kindergarten all day with, you know, like learning letters and sounds and teaching kids how to read. And then I would come home at night and be answering emails from survivors or giving interviews about abuse. So it was, it was kind of hard to transition sometimes. Um, But it's also kindergarten was kind of a refuge, I think, where I could forget about pain that I've been through and that other people have been through and, you know, focus on them for a little bit. So yeah, it's a funny, it's a funny dichotomy of my two jobs at the time at the moment. <laughs> That's definitely the transition It's rainbows, unicorns, lollipops, <laughs> yeah. <toy> trucks <laughs> to exactly. some very intense conversations. Very intense. And they have no, I mean, they have no idea what, you know, my other job is. So. <laughs> Nor I'm do wonder- they care. <laughs> I'm wondering, what do we do? With the good things people like Bill Hybels gave us, well, when I was a pastor, um, one of the first things we noticed when I became the lead pastor was a lot of people were saying they didn't feel connected in the community, despite it being a small church. So in order to connect people more, uh, we decided to start a small group ministry. And I spent like three months reading virtually every book that Hybels put out on small group ministry and and I based our small group ministry based off of his. And then I find out all this stuff about him as a leader. And I'm like, well, what do I do with all that stuff? What do we do with the things that they gave us that were good? You know, what I have come to learn is that people are not 100% evil and a hundred or 100% good, that all of us have sin and I do believe that God used Bill Hybels for a lot of good. There was a, there is wonderful goodness that came out and still comes out of Willow Creek. And I don't believe that you should throw away the small group curriculum, especially if you find that it's helpful and people are growing and lives are being changed. Um, But I know that, you know, I, I understand that it can be really confusing, um, But for me, that's just kind of where I've landed as I've read about people is that there's good and there's bad and we shouldn't throw out the good just because we've seen the bad, the evil. How do we change that headspace? Because um, a lot of people will struggle with that for sure. That's a really good question. I, so for me, like I, I saw my, some of really good friends struggle with this is they were like, well, I can't believe that Bill did all these things because I've seen all the good that came out, like kind of the flip of it, you know, where they didn't believe the the stories the women were telling because they've seen all of the goodness that has come out of Bill's life and out of Willow Creek. So um, 
I don't know if I know the answer. I just think it's a process of learning and growing and understanding, maybe looking at yourself, you know, I'm sinful, but it's not, it doesn't define me. And I'm not, I don't want to minimize the gravity of what Bill did and the abuses that occurred. Like, I'm not trying to do that, but I think it helps to look at yourself and think, okay, I get it. Like I'm, I'm a sinful person, but I still can do good things. And that's, that's where I've landed with the issue. I guess another great place to look would be in your book, A Church Called Tove. People who Mm -hmm. want to learn more about that or learn more about you, how can they go about doing that? I have a website. My dad and I have a website together, churchcalledtove.org. We are both very active on Twitter. You can find us there and also on Facebook. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Laura. This was wonderful. Thank you, guys. And thank you so much for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe. We'll talk to you again on Connections.